I have a message from the Lord for you today, and it is this. He does not want you to be gloomy or to be weak. Because there is a straight line relationship between strength, joy, and taking God's word seriously. I want you to know this morning that, uh, in fact, glorious things will happen when God's word is presented and God's people respond. So I want you to turn with me to, this morning to Nehemiah chapter 8. You will not significantly grow until you change and choose to do what will cause you to grow. Remember our identity, our unique identity, what sets us apart. We are people who are firmly loyal to the, to the word of God we are fixed on Christ worship and we are radically separated and distinct from the values of this world system. If you have your Bibles open to Nehemiah chapter 8, we'll begin reading at verse 1. <clears throat> when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood a bunch of cool guys. <laughs> Ezra opened the book. All the people could see because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, who all have names, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that pe the people could understand what was being read. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest, and scribe, and the Levites, who were instructing the people, said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families, along with the priests and the Levites, gathered around Ezra, the scribe, to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded through Moses, that the Israelites were to live in booths during the feast of the seventh month, 
and, that, and they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves booths on their own roofs and in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God and in the square by the water gate and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built booths and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the feast for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. This is God's word to us. Our Father, as we um, are glad to be here this morning in your presence, we are thankful to worship you and to lift up our voices and our hearts in praise, to demonstrate our adoration for our great God, our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, Father, we, we ask that you would please enrich our souls with your word this morning. Father, I pray that you would cause us to be diligent about these matters. I pray, Father, that, that from this lesson this morning, from the um, behavior of God's people so many years ago, we would learn uh, how you desire for us to behave. I pray, Father, that we would be people who truly demonstrate our unique identity, that we would be people who absolutely take your word seriously, Father, that we would be fixated on Christ worship, and that we would keep ourselves distinct and separate from the values of this world. I pray, Lord, that we would, um, by your strength and by your grace, set ourselves apart uh, for your glory and honor. I pray, Father, that this people, that this community would know what it is to have strength and great joy in the Lord. Because you, O oh Lord, are our strength. The joy of the Lord is our strength. O oh, Father, I pray that we might uh, imbibe deeply in that. I pray, Lord, that you would find us to not be people of doom and gloom and, and insecurities, but, Father, that we might be people of great joy and confidence in the Lord. And so, Father, you have a word for us this morning, and I pray that your Holy Spirit will take your word and, and drill it into our hearts and our lives with great passion, I pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. It seems to me uh, by, that, that uh, the context here, trying to understand the, the backdrop to Israel's um, situation in particular here, is, is they had come to the conclusion that they had failed the Lord miserably. And uh, it had taken a number of years for them to, to recognize that and to, I think, uh, embrace the gravity of, of where they were at. And it, was, it took the leaders like Ezra and Nehemiah to bring this to, her, to their attention. And so as they stood there... Um, uh, with the, the great project that had, had been completed, the walls had now been completed, the doors were, were affixed, and, the, and there was, there was um, um, uh, a great uh, um, completion of the project. Uh, they realized, looking around, that the city had not yet been repopulated, and, and uh, it was only a short while ago that, that they had been rescued from exile, and, and, and they had they had really come to embrace the fact that it was because of their lack of seriousness toward God's word that they had been suffering all these years. 
And, and as, they, as they recognize their sinfulness, and we have yet a, a number of chapters to go through in Nehemiah which will embrace this, as they had re- become uh, uh, abundantly clear of, uh, and, and recognized their sinfulness, they really looked around themselves and said, you know, We've had enough of this. We, we, we don't want to live like this anymore. We, we need to take God seriously. We've already experienced what it is to, to, uh, to not take him seriously and to end up in exile and, and, um, and, and, and to have gone all of those years with frustration and, and struggles and, and gloom and weariness and weakness and, and, and enough. And they called out to, to, to uh, Ezra, bring out the book. Bring out the word of God. We need to hear what God has to say. We need to change our lives. Let's find out what God really wants for us. And I believe that's the backdrop where we encountered this. They had gone away to their own towns and then they had agreed that on New Year's Day, you say New Year's Day, yeah, the first day of the seventh month in Israel was their New Year's Day. They said on New Year's Day we're going to come back together. And we're going to gather. And of course they had built this great platform in, in lieu of that. We're going to gather together and we're going to hear what God has to say. I wonder about us. I wonder about you. Are you tired of feeling distracted or insecure? Or, or feeling like a failure in your relationships? Like you don't know God or like God isn't hearing you or something like that. You're not hearing from him. Perhaps you're feeling empty or unsure or angry. Angry all the time, tired, passionless. Like something is wrong, you can't put your finger on it. Something's missing in your life. Feel unhealthy. Maybe. Maybe you find yourself in a spiritual funk. Faith has become flabby for you. Filled more with doubts than with faith. You've discovered over these weeks that your life needs some serious renovation. But you don't really know how to change. Today God has a word for you from this text. As I said to you at the very beginning, there is a straight line between strength and joy and taking God's word seriously. The shaping of our identities in Christ must be forged by not only the hearing of God's word, but in particular, by the doing of God's word. That's what Pastor James taught his congregation. James 1.22, don't only be hearers of God's word and deceive yourselves. Be doers of the word of God. This is the moment we find ourselves at, here in particular, with Israel. Bring us the book. Tell us what God has to say to us. Tell us what God wants us to do. This was a turning point, a key turning point in the history of Israel. And I want to submit to you that every single one of you, if you claim to know the Lord Jesus Christ, you've got to come to that turning point in your life whereby you are, have had enough with, with wandering around, perhaps aimlessly trying to serve God and, and, and frustrated and living with insecurities and not sure of your direction, angry and all of that kind of stuff, you've got to come to the place where, hey, maybe it's because I haven't been taking God's word seriously. And, and you know what? As of today, before God, as God is my witness, 
uh, on the basis of the strength of the Holy Spirit, today's going to be a turning point in my life. That's what they came to. They came to this place and said, that's it. Today's going to be a turning point. The first day of the seventh month, we're going to gather. We're going to hear what God has to say. And we're going to do something about it. That's where I'm taking you this morning. That's where God wants to take you this morning. So I want to share with you a few observations that I've noticed in the text. The, the first thing is so, so important. They said, um, we don't want to hear from men. We don't want to hear ideas from Ezra and Nehemiah and all of that. We don't want to hear from, from uh, stra- strategy uh, guys and tacticians and all that kind of stuff. We, we don't want to hire somebody to come in here and give us a strategic plan. Bring us the book. Bring us what the Lord has commanded. That's what we want to hear. The first key to the turning point in your life in a church and in, in moving forth for, with God is this, that God's community is to be built on the foundation articles of the faith, not on men's ideas, which bring to us that which the Lord has commanded, what God has said. Commanded from the Lord of glory, the King of heaven. What has he commanded us? Uh, Because that's a no-tamper zone. I I want to um, draw your attention to a critical text in the New Testament that really describes the very thing that was going on here in Israel. Um, A critical text is in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 to 17. A familiar text to you, but a a power-packed text. Because the point is... What the, the, the reality is that God has spoken. The creator of heaven and earth has spoken. He has revealed himself. And he has something to say to us. And, and that's why when Paul was mentoring this young preacher, Timothy, he said to him in verse 15 of, of 2 Timothy 3, And how from infancy you have known uh, the holy scriptures... Now listen to the description of the scriptures, the encompassing description of the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed, theonoustos, inspired in some texts. God-breathed. Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God or the woman of God, the young person of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The encompassing magnitude of the Word of God is spelled out for us here. The ongoing Credibility and authority for faith and practices must come from the Lord, from his word. We are people who follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. If someone's trying to understand who you are, what our church is all about, very simply, we are people who follow the teachings of Jesus Christ. As Swindoll correctly said, we need to stop it with the emotional fuel And hook up to the authentic fuel of God's word. For truly great things of God to happen. Now by the way. In this description of God's word. Not everything there is to know in all of the universe is revealed in the scriptures. 
1 Corinthians 13, 12, Romans 11, 33 to 34. Uh, make that abundantly clear. But listen to me clearly. But all we need to know to obtain eternal life and to live to the glory of God is within the confines of Scripture. All we need to know to obtain eternal life and to live to the glory of God is confined, is within the confines of Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed. Everything else is up for grabs. The writers of the Scriptures were carried along. That's what God-breathed means. They were carried along by the whim of the Holy Spirit himself. The Word of God is what transforms our lives. Non-conformity to the world's values, the values that are constantly seeking to influence us and impact us, can only be counteracted as our mind is renewed by the Word of God. That's what Paul taught the Romans in Romans 12, 1 and 2. But understand this, our mind will not be renewed by gathering information about God only. The counteracting of the values of this world that are seeking to press us into its mold will only be counteracted as we actually apply the Word of God to our lives. Now, I think it was Francis Chan who gave a pretty cool illustration about this. Uh, some of the guys were with me when we heard this. When you're driving down the road and you're driving a little on the fast side and a police officer pulls you over and says to you, you were speeding. And you say to him, well, I know what the speed limit is. He will not say to you, well, knowing what the speed limit is is not going to get you out of a ticket. It's applying the speed limit to your life that will keep you from getting the ticket. It's not that we have gathered information about the Word of God. It's not how much you know about God. It's not how much you know about the Bible that will transform your life. It's as you apply, as you do the Word of God, that God changes you. That's how we are being transformed. That's how our mind is being renewed by the Word of God. By the specific revelation of God is the man or woman sufficiently instructed in the belief and praxis that meet all of the obligations and requirements of God. The word that is used here in, in uh, 2 Timothy is ardios. It means complete. That the man or woman of God may be complete, fully prepared, fully equipped for all that God wants you to do. That's why we are a soulless scripture of people. That's what we believe. I don't have to believe or trust in anything outside of Scripture. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can tell me things are so, and I can tell you things are so, but I don't have to believe or trust in anything other than the Scriptures. Now, other things may be true. Other things may be entirely believable. But the only things that we can press upon each other with authority to believe in and to have faith in is the Word of God. Are you with me? All right. 
it was Martin Luther who picked up on the drift of the then church, so-called, that was drifting into a confidence in things outside of the word of God and was imposing practices upon people that were outside of the word of God. It was Martin Luther who, um, and, and others who determined that this was a drift away from the authentic authority of God. And so Luther in his works, volume 21, writes this. Jesus subjects the whole world to the apostles through whom alone it should be and might be enlightened and not allowed to drift into darkness. The church has no word or words of its own. Men and women have no word or words of their own, allegedly with authority. Our authority, our confidence, is in the word of God alone. Jesus himself submitted himself to God's word, John 8, 55. So what does this mean to us then? Importantly, it means this in practical ways. Methods, strategies, styles, therapies, traditions, prophecies so-called, visions, miracles, have no claim to authority or belief unless they have specific warrant in God's word. Sacred authority comes from God's word alone. The word of God, therefore, must remain free and sought after to judge our priorities, our theories, our philosophies for spiritual veracity. This is what we believe. This is who we are. This sets us apart from other so-called movements that claim to have authority under God. Our authority comes from God's word. And that's why the people in that day, when they came to a moment of reformation, a moment of revival, said, bring us the book. Bring us what God says. We want to hear from God. We want to know what he's commanded us to do. We've been living according to man's ideas. We've been uh, sinning against God. We've been going in other directions. And we've been suffering for it. It's time for us to seek the blessing and joy of God found in his word. And so they called on the book to be brought to them. Now, as we move through the text, we will notice that um, they asked for the book to be brought. And then it says in verse 2, so on the first day, that's exactly what happened. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. Um, secondly, the scriptures are for everyone. You notice there, men and women and everyone who is able to understand. The, 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 the scriptures are for everyone who has understanding, is capable of understanding, in other words, to understand. Which means to me that in this great mass, there was men, there were women, and there were children being instructed in the word of God. This is to be an entire family issue. As soon as those little punks that you have can start to understand... You get them in, in um, audience with the word of God. That's what this means. Um, in fact, God, you see, wants to be understood. Our God is not someone who wants to hide behind smoke and mirrors and 
and superstition and, and, and mutterings as, as I, Isaiah the prophet writes about the pagan and heathen religions around him. No, our God wants to be absolutely understood. Our God has revealed himself. Our God has, has sent his son to be among us so that we might know precisely who he is. The stars, the heaven declare the glory of God. God has set himself so that people can understand him and know who he is. This really matters to God. God wants to be understood. And he wants to be understood by everyone who can understand. J.I. Packer writes this, Where biblical illiteracy is tolerated, there can be no significant movement towards God expected. He speaks uh, from the perspective of a seminary professor. And, and if you interview seminary professors, you will know. Any who had a long uh, uh, career will tell you that increasingly... The students that are being sent from evangelical churches are suffering from biblical illiteracy. And that, that direction, and, and these are our best. These are the ones that are coming out and saying, we want to, to passionately serve and follow God for the most part. God wants us to make sure we are the kind of people who are not only specializing, but um, giving priority to the understanding of God's word. There was a, a young lumberjack who was contracted by a, 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 a landowner to, to cut down trees, and he would be paid per tree. And so uh, he busied himself the first day hacking down a tree. And the first day he cut down ten trees. The second day, eight trees. The third day, six trees. The fourth day, four trees. And the fifth day, two trees. But he happened to notice that one of his colleagues, another lumberjack, was cutting trees down. And he cut nine trees down every single day. So he went to this guy and he says to him, Hey, um, i got to ask you, how is it that you're able to cut down nine trees every day. I was, had a descending amount of trees that I was able to cut down. And not only that, I, I come in bright and early and start cutting away. You don't cut, you don't start cutting as soon as I do. In fact, you're not even around. What are you doing? He says, listen, I can answer your two questions with one answer. I sharpen my saw every morning. That's the bottom line about God's word. You think you can... Uh, you think you can get all that you need on a Sunday and then go out there and hack away all week long? By Friday, you're, Saturday, you're limping in and you're like, I can barely make it to church on Sunday. You've got to have a, a commitment, a passion. You need the Word of God. It's the lifeblood of your, of your life. This is what uh, the, the passion was. The scriptures were for everyone who is understanding to understand. If they don't understand God, it's impossible to know him and to know what he wants and to know how, how to please him. And, and I like it because Ezra in verses 7 and 8 had, had small group commandos positioned within the great assembly. All those Levites, you know, there's this great company of people, and they're all scattered, all these other teachers are, are scattered out throughout the crowd. And as Ezra is up there 
preaching away and, and they're telling the people in their little small group gathering that they, they might understand, well, this is what he's talking about and this is, what God, this is what God wants you to know and this is how to please God. They were committed to this so that the hearing can transition into doing. You have to know what to do. Something else I noticed that, 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 that I, as I was looking here, it says that he read aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate. Wait a second, this, this wasn't in the temple. God's truth, thirdly, should not be confined to the place of worship only. God wants to be known in the public square. I hope we understand that, that God has already established for us by his creation itself that our God is a very public God. He has demonstrated and revealed himself in the heavens. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sun, the moon, and the stars proclaim, preach his glory day by day. The sun demonstrates the magnitude of his greatness. Our God calls all of creation into to attention that it might uh, test to the truth of God. God wants to be known in the public square. God's, listen, God's word is not a religious pastime. This is not a hobby that we're about. God, God's not uh, thinking that, that, that his word that he has given is, is to be reserved for a few people who are fascinated in the ancient Near East. No, our, our God wants his words to his creation to be known by all. I mean, think about this. The God who is the maker of heaven and earth has revealed himself and revealed how to please him. He has revealed salvation. He has granted to his humanity an awareness of who he is. I believe our God is an in-your-face God. And I believe that he wants us as witnesses, as testifiers to the truth, to take these truths to the public square. I know you've been taught by the uh, common etiquette of humanity that there are some things that you don't talk about in a gathering, and one of them is religion. I say bogus. Our God is not politically correct. Our God wants us to speak about him. Our God wants us to proclaim him. Our God wants us to use the word of God in any public forum we should choose. Do you think our God is a, a God who celebrates diverse philosophies? He's up there in heaven saying, oh, I'm so proud of humanity. I'm so proud of them that they, that they have all of these diverse ideas and they're sharing them one with the other. But, but don't talk about my word. I believe that our God wants us to proclaim him everywhere. There's a, a, a strong text in Hebrews about our God. Hebrews um, 12, verses 25 and on. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth through the prophets, how much less will we, if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? Jesus has come to us from heaven. 
At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words, once more, indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That is, created things. So that what cannot be shaken, God's word, may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Our God speaks. And he wants to be heard. I also notice in this text that, that it says that uh, Ezra opened up the book and all the people could see him because he was standing above them. And, and uh, verse 5, and as he opened it up, all the people stood up and Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Let me make a, a, a clear statement here that there's always the danger of bibliolatry. It always looms, but you don't learn that in the Bible. The scriptures are not the focus of worship ever. God is always. God wants to be worshipped accurately. The scriptures are the content and the context for which we um, accurately worship our great God. And, and if there's anything that's made abundantly clear here by this great revival service of maybe 30,000 people all gathered... It is this, that they came to praise God, listening to his word, going to apply his word, but nonetheless, this was about God. It says there that they stood up. In fact, Ezra began preaching, it says, when the sun came up, uh, maybe about 7 a.m., and he continued to preach until 12 noon. You think I preached for a long time? We're talking about five hours, folks, and they were standing there in rapt attention as God's word was being proclaimed. They weren't complaining about pews being too hard or we got to get out of here because the parking lot is going to be a rush or whatever. They weren't complaining about any of that stuff. They were just standing there praising God, soaking it all in, standing there and clearly praising the Lord. And it says that they were lifting up their hands in praise. The ancient practice of the people of God to lift up their hands to God with longing and yearning of, uh, of heart. Oh God, you alone have what we need. You alone are our salvation. You alone deserve all our praise and all of our worship. We, we strayed from you. Oh God, you receive us. You welcome us. And, and the Apostle Paul, in writing to the young preacher Timothy in 2 Timothy, says to him that, that this will be the link with the ancient people of God, that I want men to lift up holy hands in prayer in the New Testament community. And when we lift our hands, you ask the question, is that something that we should be doing? The answer is absolutely yes. It links us to the ancient people of God. This is our carry-through. This is the same God we worship and praise. So it says they lifted up their hands but, and worshipped him. But not only that, they were calling out, Amen, Amen, Amen. Affirming what they were hearing since the time of David. Uh, people have been calling out, Amen. Uh, affirming what God's word says. But make, make no mistake about it and know this, that when you are saying, Amen, you are not only owning the truth for yourself, but you are putting yourself on notice under heaven in the sight of God. God, not only am I owning this truth, but I understand I'm owning this truth. And I understand that I'm committing myself to this truth by saying amen. And I understand that you're holding me responsible to apply this truth. 
You put yourself on notice. And that's a good thing. And it says they bowed down and they worshipped him. They blessed him. Self-abasing. Calling on the Lord. This is who we are. And um, it, it tells us in the text that this is the presentation of God. God has spoken. God wants to be understood. God wants to be proclaimed in the public square. God wants to be worshipped accurately. That's the presentation of God's word. But here's where the glory starts. It's when God's people respond to God's word. All else is falling short of the glory of God. But when God's people hear a presentation of God's word and they put it into practice, glorious things happen. I want to show you. It says there in the text that when they had heard the word of God, they were grieved. They were sorrowful. They were pricked to the very core of their lives. That's what happens. That's happened to you. That's happened to me. There are times when God's word is so powerful that it just moves us emotionally, particularly, particularly when we encounter something, we realize we've been resisting this. We have not been paying attention to God. We have not been taking God seriously. We have been in a state of sinfulness, which they were. And they had come to the place where they realized with contrite hearts that repentance was the only thing that they could do. And so in their grief, they're repenting of their own sin, turning from it, promising to, to, to serve God, to be serious about his word. That's what happens when you, when you recognize that, that your sin has jeopardized your relationship with God, this God who loves you, has revealed himself to you, wants to be understood, wants to, to, to show you how to live so that you won't go through all the pain and, and, and frustrations and trouble of, of, of what it is when you choose to sin. And so they're grieving. And, and as they're grieving... Nehemiah steps in and he says, hey, Ezra, you mind if I take over for a second? I know you're the preacher around here. I know I'm just the practical guy, but can I just say a word to all these people? Stop crying. Because holiness and gloom cannot coexist. It's all right that you've grieved and faced your sinfulness and all of that, but you know what you need to quickly do? is recognize that your God forgives you and receives you and welcomes you and will steer your life from this point and you need to rejoice in the Lord for your forgiveness and what he has done for you. So if I can make a suggestion, you ought to all go home, get some good food and get some sweet drinks and, and have some people over to your house and and get excited about Jesus. Well, I get excited about the Lord in his context. That's what, that's what it ought to be. Listen, listen, we've we gathered together and we realize that the walls of our distinctiveness have been put in place. And, 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 the, and we've worked through God's strength to put those, those doors up that will prevent the wickedness from having influence and impact in our lives. But, but understand this, that when we come and gather like this, Nehemiah says to them, 
The great joy is that we understand God. We, we know our God. And while the peoples out there are wandering around muttering and, and spurting and sputtering and trying to find out what's going on with all of their superstitions and hoping somehow they can wander obliviously into pleasing their gods, we know our God. And he has told us how to please him. And we know that by repentance we can come to him and he'll receive us and forgive us. So listen, let's celebrate, Nehemiah says. Let's rejoice. Let's make this time of relationship uh, 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 and the gathering of relationship a time of celebration because of what our God has done for us. And when you are, when you are um, enjoying your relationship with God in the presence of God is great joy. I remember growing up, that's the way Sunday always was. I grew up in that context. Sunday was celebration day. It was, it was gather together and, and get people over to your house. And, and we didn't have very much. We had virtually nothing. But my mom could make a feast out of anything. Not because of the amount of food or anything like that. She just could do it. And, and, and it was about the, the content and the context and why we were together. And people were over. And, and that's what we did. We were, just, we were just living it up in Jesus. That's what it was. That's what it is. That's, that's who we are. That's why Nehemiah says, stop your crying. Let's get excited about Jesus. Let's be excited and happy and, and, and realize that we have great joy in God because we know God. We understand him. Sins are forgiven. He's given us purpose. We've landed on very pleasant places. And then finally, um, after he says all of that, it says in verse 13 that they came back on the second day, but just the heads of all the families. And it says in verse 13, to give attention to the words of of the law. When heads of families, when the men determine in their hearts that it is their role and responsibility to give attention to the word of God for their family. As for me and my house, we are going to serve God. When that happens, glorious things start to happen in any given community. And that's what happened here. And so they gathered together they, they, all the heads of the families, and then they started reading, and they realized that during this feast time, they were supposed to be making booths to live in. This was supposed to be their time of camping. They were supposed to be getting out of the house, and they were supposed to be making these little shanties, and they were supposed to be living in them, and they had not been practicing this, even though it was a command of the Lord, the, the feast of the booths. Feast of Trumpets, this was a special time for them, by the way, to remember that they had been a people who had been rescued out of Egypt. They were a mobile people. They were a people of God's provision. And so they were to move out and remind themselves with a visual reminder, this is who we are. This is our identity. We are just passing through. We're a mobile people of God. This world is not our home. We belong to God. We're in his kingdom. And, and so they got out and they got camping. And, and um, you know, because here's the deal. Sometimes, you know, we get so... By our surroundings, we get so caught up in the fact that I don't need anything. I, I got this nice house. I got all of this stuff. It doesn't matter. And, and uh, I really don't need God. And this was this graphic reminder once a year that they should come out and, and go camping and, and, and rough it a little bit. At least that's what my wife thinks. And uh, we don't have the Feast of Booths in our house. But anyway... Um, to come out and realize, no, we're, we're people who, who, who rely on the provisions of God. We're people who are people of pilgrimage. 
God takes us where he wants to take us. They hadn't been doing this. And it says that they decided that they were going to do this seriously. Take God's word seriously. And when they did, booths are set up all over on roofs of houses. They're set in the temple courtyard. They're all over the place. It says they had great joy. When, you spread, when spreading the truth of God is family business and not just for trained leaders, when we make the scripture the guiding principles of Christian life, when we train ourselves to be godly, as it is written, notice that, end of verse 15, as it is written, exactly as it is written, God blesses. That's how it works. Something glorious, beloved, will happen when God's word is presented and God's people respond to that word. God has spoken. God wants to be understood. God wants to be known in the public square. God wants to be worshipped accurately. God is telling you what to do, how to live. And when you do, there's great joy. Our Father and our God, I thank you for taking us on this journey this morning, for highlighting the importance of your words to us. I pray, people, that I pray, Lord, that we will be people of God's word in our lives, day by day, doing what we find there, I pray. So um, we can be people of strength and joy, holiness and gloom. Do not. I mentioned this to you, but it bears repeating. I don't know if you noticed when we were going through this. It says that for our joy, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. But what I noticed was particularly significant was after the people had ascribed to the word of God as it is written. Then it says in the text, their joy was very great. So I wrote this little thing for you to remember. Our strength comes from our joy in the Lord. But our joy comes from knowing and understanding God's word to us. And very great joy comes from applying what is written. And from very great joy comes very great strength. That's what God wants for us. He wants very great joy and very great strength. As Christians, we don't have to be gloomy and insecure and fretful and all of that. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And we get very great strength from very great joy, which means serious attention to the Word of God, applying it. He'll bring you joy and strength. Father, I pray this morning that as we consider the application of this, it requires of us to do something about it. Do we have a plan for this? So God, I just pray this morning 
in each of our lives that we might ask the question, what is my personal plan for taking God's word seriously? Am I part of a, our daily Bible study plan here, Lord? Am I part of a small group of applying Christ's truth? Do I have something going that demonstrates the serious feeding on the word of God to grant joy and strength for the day, for the journey? We've got to sharpen our swords every day. So God, I pray that you would impress it upon our hearts to do something today, make this a turning point possibly, of devotion to your words to us and our love for you enough to apply them to our lives. For Jesus' sake, amen.